What's up, Salt Company? Whew, we're ready. How are we all doing? So my name is Drake, and I am the Salt Director at Salt St. Paul, um, and I have the joy of coming over here to the, uh, the Gopher side tonight to work with you all and to wrap up this habit series that you all have been walking through. Um, and honestly, guys, this habit series has been extremely good for my heart as well. Like, we've been walking through some things that I think our culture has been blind to. And so when we talk about rest or when we talk about escaping hurry and getting out of this, this current that our culture is kind of heading in, that has been so good for my soul. But I think one thing that's important for me to remember is why do we do these habits? Like, these habits are put in place into our life because we are striving after something. There's an end goal to these habits. And so I was thinking about this, and I'm obviously trying to plan something for tomorrow night. we got Valentine's Day. So I'm, I'm thinking about doing something nice for my wife. And imagine if I would set all this up. I would do all the things I needed to do. So I would go and get her favorite food. I would find some pad thai from one of our favorite Thai restaurants. I would go to a store to pick out some flowers that she would love. I would get some chocolates, anything with caramel should do. And then I get all those things, maybe even write a note. And then I come home. I go in the kitchen. I set it on the counter. I say, enjoy, and then I leave. How absurd would that be? And I promise you that would not go over well. But if I did that, it would take away the whole purpose of doing those things. The reason why I would do those things is to heighten the enjoyment of our relationship together. And so we have to remember that with these habits, with these things that we are trying to implement, there is a goal, there's something that we are striving to that's greater than just doing these by themselves. And that end goal is that we would be a people that would encounter God himself, that we would see his glory, and that it would begin to change us as who we are into becoming more and more in love with him. And so this is a rhythm that we see in the life of Jesus constantly. As we've heard that he is one that throughout his life is quoting scripture as he learned to memorize it, even though he wrote it himself. I'm still trying to figure that out. But he, he memorized the scripture and he had it close to his heart that he would go to the mountains time and time again to escape the crowds, to escape the busyness, to escape the potential fame that was coming towards his name. And the man that had the most people demanding of his time the man that had the most ability to spend all this time doing good and miraculous things, healing people constantly, he saw as vital in his life to retreat and to be with his father. And he shows us both in different forms of the scriptures and in prayer that that is where we encounter who God is. That is where we pursue to know him more, and that's where we begin to be changed. And so those two avenues are how we encounter this glory of God. And so I want to walk through two different stories tonight. One, where Jesus is showcasing his heart for the scriptures and using it in an everyday scenario. And then the other, when he is in a garden praying earnestly with his father. And so first, we're going to look at Jesus in the desert. We're in Matthew 4, we're starting verse 1. 
It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Makes sense. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And so we see this scene of Jesus going to the desert, fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And this is after Probably the biggest spiritual high that you could ever have. I mean, he just got baptized in the Jordan. Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. The, the Father says from heaven, you are my son and who I'm well pleased. So he's on this high moment of life, and then he retreats to go to the desert, specifically to fast, but also to be tempted by Satan himself. And so he receives these temptations, and the scripture is what he runs to, to keep his mind, to keep his heart fixed on who his father is in these moments. And it's because in scripture is where we discover the character of who God is. And so Satan approaches him. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Like, if you are the son of God, God would love you enough to provide this food for you, don't you think? And then he takes him to the top of the, of the temple and says, test God's care for you. Why don't you jump off and see if the angels will swoop up? And the, the thing about this one, this temptation, is that Satan uses scripture. That he pulls out scripture in order to twist it and to give it to Jesus in this moment. And then he takes him to the top of a mountain and says, this whole kingdom will be yours if you will bow and worship me. But Jesus responds with scripture every single time. Because it draws to mind and it causes him to remember who his God is and how his God cares for him so deeply. And even when Jesus says that man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, the rest of Deuteronomy 8, he knows that there's these commands that God gives, these promises that God is one that wants to provide good things for us, that he wants us to lack nothing in this life and that he will always be with us. And so in Scripture, Jesus is able to encounter the character of God in a unique way that he cannot experience any other way. He's able to encounter the character of his Father and see that what he experiences in the relationship with his Father is far greater than anything being presented to him in the desert. Literally, he's offered the world, but he knows that, he knows that, that is a lie and not going to be a pursuit of joy for him. And he clings to his father. And in this moment, when the spiritual high wears off, it is his deep love of the scriptures that causes him 
to continue to run after his father. It causes him to continue to hold on to the promises of God. And so Jesus spent his life diving into these scriptures. And while he encountered God through these scriptures, it began to change him more and more and cause him to have more and more love for them. But I think when we read this story, we can see it with a different light. Because I don't know about you, but when I first read through this, I kind of had this response that like, it seems like it's just three things that Jesus can't do because he's following God. Like three different things that Jesus says, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe I would do that, but I can't now because I'm with Jesus. And the reason why I read it like that is because we have a tendency to see this book as a list of rules of things that we shouldn't do and things that we should do in order to walk with God. And when we see it solely as that, when we stoop it down to that level, we see the, the scriptures more as a restriction of our joy rather than a pursuit of it. The words that we read in scripture seem far more bland, and we can have a similar tone, like, I would love to be doing this. I would love to be going out to the parties. I would love to be meeting with different guys and different girls, but I can't do that now. Or like, I need to start Man, saying nicer things, I need to start taking cussing out of my life. I need to start doing these things because I'm following Jesus now. But what we don't realize is that when we see Scripture as a list of rules, it might have the ability to change our behavior temporarily, but it has no ability to change what is going on in our heart. It has no ability to change our love and affection for God himself and so how do we be a people who love and cherish this word so that when we are offered the world, we turn it down because we know this is far greater? We begin to be a people that run to these scriptures with a new purpose. We open this book and pray that God would open our eyes to the glory of himself on these pages. We realize that the Spirit of God is within our hearts now, and we get to cling to him for him to reveal to us the beauty of this text, that we become awakened to what God reveals to us about himself. And while we sit with this text, while we love it more and more, God uses it to shape and to change our hearts, to delight in the things that he delights in, and to run from the things of this world. So growing up, uh, my family just never played board games. Wasn't a thing. I don't know why. It, and if we talk about it at like any family gathering, anytime the word like board games is said, there's kind of like this, this cringe that we feel. Like we don't want to even step in that direction. And so obviously when I started dating Paige and I started to hang around her family, it makes sense that her family would love all of the board games. And so I, you know, wanted to make a good impression. So I jumped in. And there's one night I remember so clearly that we played one game. I couldn't get out of it. And, and so I'm playing this game. And I'm like, okay, we're almost to the end of this one. Like, I can see it, the light at the end of the tunnel. And then all of a sudden, they pull out another one. And I'm like, where did you even get that? And we played four or five different games that night. And the whole time, I'm trying to stay locked in to get a good impression with my new family. And so they think, oh, Drake's into board games. 
Drake loves himself some board games. So anytime we come over, they're like, hey, Drake's coming over. Let's, let's get the board games out. And so every time, we would play more and more board games. And guys, I love board games now. It like, I don't know how it happened, but it switched to where I began to love this thing that was so boring to me in every way of it. And so what we are saying is that when we start pursuing these scriptures rightly, when we invest ourselves into these scriptures to see the glory of God, we begin to grow a love for them as well. And it's far greater because it's the spirit of God that intervenes in our hearts and causes us to love these words more than anything else in this world. It gives us a hunger for what God says about himself. And so we pursue these things. But when we pursue them, we are seeking how can I learn more about who God is rather than how can my life change. We, we begin to see the beauty that is found in them. We see the holiness of God in this text and how we are broken, how we fall short of that. And so we come to these scriptures in a more dependent state. Because it's easy to see a list of rules, but when we are trying to see what God wants to reveal about himself, we have to go to him and say, God, would you reveal to me what you want me to see in this text? Like, Spirit, I know that there are treasures in this text that I am currently blind to, but I want to dig deeper. I want to learn more. So, Spirit, would you open my eyes to see what your text has for me? Would we be a people that realize that we have the Spirit of God, the one who wrote the word, at and access to it, and that we can actually use the Spirit to enlighten us to this text. The Spirit is in our hearts, allowing us to see the beauty that is in it. And when we begin to see the text rightly, we begin to savor it more deeply. And Jonathan Edwards, a very old wise man says that the heart now has a new taste, a new sense, a new relish for the loveliness and sweetness of the supreme excellency of Christ. And Piper adds on to this by saying, gradually, our savoring of the supreme worth and beauty of Christ is pushing out of our hearts all competing desires. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that, And we, with unveiled unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Piper is saying, Piper says, uh, going with this text, that when we behold glory, we begin to become glorious ourselves. That when we see the glory of Jesus in this text, what is in these words, it begins to transform us to become more and more like him. There's a mystery and a miracle that happens. That God takes us where we are at and gives us new affections, gives us new desires, rewires our heart to run after the very thing that we were made to worship and shows us that we actually have access to the very thing that satisfies our souls, and that is him, that we get to be in his presence, that these words which once were bland to us are now sweet as honey to our heart. And as we 
behold God by sitting with his text, by pondering it, it causes us to love the ways of this world less and less. It causes our heart to say that, man, sleeping with a boyfriend or a girlfriend doesn't even compare to the treasures that are found in this book. It shows us that searching these scriptures is going to provide for us so much joy, a greater joy than any resume could perform for us. And less and less, we will seek to escape the pains of this life and just try to ignore them because we know that we can run to the Father's words to comfort our souls. And we begin to realize that, as C.S. Lewis states, that our desires are not too great. It's not that they're so great that we keep running after the world, but our desires are too weak. That we are a people that settle for the ways of this world when we have such great treasures right before us. That God longs to reveal himself to us in. That there is such a, a heightened sense of joy that we get to experience by looking at these scriptures a story that I thought about when, when trying to color this in a little bit is when I grew up, I thought that the only way to have a steak was well done, almost burnt. Because my mom, that was her game. She would go to a, to a restaurant and be like, I want it well done. They'd be like, okay. She's like, I want it burnt. They're like, okay, I'll do that. And so that's what I had. And it was like, it was still a steak. Like, it was great. But I didn't realize until later what a steak that was cooked right was like. Like that there was actually flavor in it, that they didn't cook it all out, that there was tenderness to it, that there was, it was to be enjoyed. And it just, man, there was this conflict that I had with my mom. of like, why would you ever do this? And so I experienced in that moment, like this is far greater than anything that I've done before because why would you cook the, the flavor out? And what, what we want to see in the text is that it shows us a heightened sense of joy that we can never experience in this world. That we have been running after bland pleasures when there is so much flavor, there's so much joy to be had when we sit with this text and we ask God to reveal to us the joys that are in this, path, in this text and for it to begin to change our heart to love him and to become more and more like him. And so we want to become students of this word. We want to be people that sit with it and pursue after it to see the glory of God. What, what are some ways that we can begin that process of growing more in love with this text? Because, guys, it is a process. It's not something that you're going to sit down with it right away and have this amazing feeling. There are going to be those moments, but there are going to be days where you read it and you feel like nothing happened. But we trust and so we run after the text day in and day out. And so the first thing I, that's helpful for me, and, and this is helpful for me in just any kind of facet of walking with Christ, whether it's fighting sin, whether it's reading scripture, I just ask myself the question, how can I seek to know God more today? Because when you ask that, it causes you to, to search after the scriptures with a new lens and before you jump into the text, spend time praying for God to reveal himself. That we become dependent and realize that we can't discover it on our own. 
Another helpful thing for me is sometimes it's helpful for me to set a time limit versus an amount of what I want to read. And so what I say is sometimes it's helpful for me to set a chunk of time where I can read as much or as little as I want to. I can slow down. I can speed up. But there's times where I have a chunk of scripture that I feel like I need to get through where setting a time is helpful for me in my morning devotions. Next, when reading a passage, begin to ask questions. Write down questions that you think of in your journal, in your notebook, and seek the scriptures to find them. And if not, ask other people to, to help you understand those questions. One way for me that's uh, incredibly helpful in beginning to study a passage, and I would say do this before jumping into any study Bible, any commentary, because it is going to begin our process of studying it for ourselves. I, I like to look at five to ten verses, and I want to write down ten observations of that text. And then when I get done with that, I want to write down another ten. And then maybe go for another 10. And what that exercise causes us to do is to sit with the text. Like we know there's great treasures to be found in it. And when we sit with it, we can discover more and more and more. And when we sit with it, we realize how dependent we are on God to reveal to us himself in it. Next, memorize the word in order to dwell on it throughout your day. Because I know that there's days where maybe you have to rush to class, you slept in, whatever it might be. And, but to have the word on your mind that you can continue to dwell on. And it's one of the, the best ways for me to even study scripture is to memorize it. And so a way that's helpful for me throughout college was to write a verse on a note card. And then when I was walking to class or leaving class, I would read that one time. Or every time I sat down in class reading that one time. And throughout the day, you begin to remember it more and more. Or I would put it on the background of my phone, and before I used any app, I would make sure to read that one time before jumping in, and throughout the course of the day, remembering as well, just to store up that word in a heart that we would grow more and more in love with it. And lastly, this is some encouragement. When we jump into, whether it's reading the Bible or seeking to memorize it, we need to be a people who learn to master the restart. And what I mean by that is that we can get caught up in checking the boxes or catching up to our reading plan, that we get so focused on that that we stop seeking to behold God in the text. And what I would say is just pick up where you left off, restart, and ask yourself the question, how do I see God in this text today, and go from there. That is a helpful thing for me because the goal is to behold, not to check off. And so the scriptures is a way that we get to see God and see his character, but we also run to our Father in prayer because he welcomes us into relationship with him. So the next scene I want to look at is Jesus in the garden. So this is Matthew 26. If you want to flip there, we'll have the words on the screen as well. So starting in verse 36, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. 
And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot And we're finding it. Pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to, his, to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going my betrayer is at hand. So Jesus in this moment is in a, a very different context. He's experiencing this deep agony of his soul. And why he's experiencing that is because he knows that soon he's going to be going to the cross, that he's going to be experiencing the wrath of his father. And it, that separation from his dad is causing them to have great agony. And so much so... There is so much built-up stress and anxiety going on in his life that his capillaries burst and blood left his pores. He began sweating blood because of this built-up agony that he was experiencing. But what does he do in this moment? Jesus knows that there's no other place that he can go other than to his Father where he will find rest. And so he he is completely and utterly dependent upon his father. Jesus is the most dependent man that's ever walked this earth because he continues to go to his father. And what is the prayer that he brings to his father? Because I think when we look at this prayer that he has, it'll shock us a little bit. And this scene causes me to wonder so much that he goes to his father and he says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What he's saying is, God, let it be so that I don't have to experience your wrath. Let me not have to go to the cross. If there's any other way to make this happen, could you make that come to pass? But the thing is, I ask, like, why would he even ask that? Like, he's known for all of eternity that this is what he's going to have to do. He knew that this is the only way of him going to the cross and experiencing the wrath of his father that we could be brought back into relationship with him because there's no other way to pay the penalty for our sin. So why would Jesus ask this of his father? And he goes back two other times, spending hours pleading with his father. And I think it's because he is aware of something that was convicting to me even as I began to ask that. That he knows that he has a father that delights in him deeply. He has a father that therefore wants to walk with him through anything that he is going with. Any pain, any toil, any joy. His father is there and willing to listen to his cries. And he trusts that God hears him. In those cries. And so though Jesus knew that this is what he had had to do, it was still toiling in his heart that was going on that he had to bring to his father. But 
if this is the relationship that we can experience in prayer, a father that is always willing to hear us, a father that we can run to with anything going on in our life, why do we struggle to pray? And for some of us, it, it could be that we have found another way to cope with our struggles. Like we've got stress going on in life, but we actually run to drinking or we run to pornography or we, we run to binging different TV shows in order to forget what is going on in our heart. For some of us, maybe it's that we are so busy that we forget to set aside time to pray. And we work really hard and we try to do a lot of really good things. And we begin to think that we are only dependent in the most extreme parts of our life. In the most desperate circumstances. For me, one of the ways that I struggle to pray is that I just struggle with doubt. Like, is God actually going to listen to me? Is God actually going to hear my prayer? Is he actually going to act on this? And if he doesn't act on that, what does that say about me? My, my wife told me a story growing up, of her growing up in school, where she was a student in her class that was very curious, uh, and honestly curious. Like, so she would rattle off question after question after question that her teacher began to get annoyed by. And so there was one time that she was asking endless questions because she wanted to learn that her teacher just said, I'm cutting you off. Literally, you can't ask any more questions today. And she gave her a three-question limit for every class from there on out. Can you imagine, like, what that would do to her and wanting to ask, wanting to go to her with these questions? But I feel like that is almost the posture that some of us have when we pray with God. Like, does he even care to hear about this? There's probably so many other issues going on. He doesn't care about these little everyday things that are going on. I have to bring only my most polished self to him in prayer. I have to bring the most holy request to him instead of wrestling through everything that is going on in my life. And all of these reasons that we don't pray are because we believe that we are able to make it on our own. We, we don't see the dependence, we don't see the helplessness that's in our own heart. And so it keeps us just in this path of trying to make it on our own, trying to tough through it without going to our Father who wants to hear from us. And it's only in the most desperate times of life that we'll run to him quick for some prayer and then continue to go on. And when we realize that we are helpless, that there's no way that we can walk through this Christian life without our dad, we realize that we run into a father who wants to give us far more abundantly than all that we could ask or imagine. A father that wants to give life and to give it abundantly to us. When we become helpless, we encounter a relationship with a father who so delights in relationship with us. That we can bring any request to. The small request, the big request, we get to enter into relationship with him and talk through those with him. Think about that. Like the God who created everything, the God who's keeping the universe going, who would seem to be busy at times, he is lending his ear to hear our every cry, our every joy, 
whatever is going on in our heart, he is ready and eager to hear from us if only we would take the step to go to him. He wants us to experience the loving embrace that he has for us and sitting down with him and just having conversation in this relationship that it's meant to be. And in a mysterious way, God also wants to welcome us into the joy of asking for things and, and asking that he would take part in doing big things. Like it's not just that God does these things, but he's actually welcoming, welcoming us in to ask him these requests that he would act. He responds to our requests of him. Like that we can even ask questions for him to change the lives of other people around us, for him to soften the hearts of people that we know that they might know the gospel. He invites us into the joy of doing that, that we would ask him to change our own hearts, to not rely on our own ability, but to depend on him. And he wants to answer that prayer. He wants to do amazing things on this campus. He wants to do amazing things in this city. Imagine if we were a people that were constantly running to God with these requests, knowing that he hears every single one of them and that he responds and acts on those prayers that we have, what amazing things could God continue to do in the salt company? He has already done incredible things that after not even three years that this many people would be coming to celebrate Jesus, he has done incredible things so that we would continue to pray for more and more and more. He invites us into the joy of that and this helplessness that we Get drawn to the Father. Guys, this is something that is learned over time. This is something that we continue to grow in, but the only way that we grow in it is if we go to the Father with our prayers, go to him with our requests, with our hurts and longings that we have, with every area of our heart, our anger, our frustrations, our joys. He wants to welcome us into conversation with him about those things And in a mysterious way, when we wrestle with God in prayer, he begins to conform our heart to will and to long to be more and more like his will. He begins to conform our heart to love the things that he loves, to be passionate about the things that he is passionate about, to ask for the things that he delights in. He makes us into a people that bring our requests to him, but ends our sentence with, not my will, but yours be done. In prayer, in wrestling with our dad, he makes us more and more like himself, that we can encounter and experience such great joy. And again, this this helplessness is something that we learn through prayer. And so I just wanted to walk through a couple different ways that we can even implement this into our life tomorrow. And the first thing is that what I want you to feel is that prayer, in a lot of these talks, it's not a guilt trip but an invitation. And I I feel that so often. Anytime I, I hear about prayer or even prepping this message, I just feel this guilt of, man, I don't pray enough. I doubt too often. But God is inviting us into relationship with him. And so that is where how we want to see it. Next, remind yourself of the God that you are speaking with. 
the God that you see in Scripture. I think it's helpful for me to take a step back and to remember who this God is, that he is all-powerful, that he is a loving Father, and that that is who I'm going to give these requests to. That is who I'm pleading with. And so it's helpful for me to remember that. For me, when I don't know what to pray or even in starting prayer, it's helpful for me to just pray through Scripture. And so what that looks like is maybe you flip open to a psalm and you read the first line, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you just begin to pray through that. Like, what does that mean? Like, the Lord is my shepherd, he is always with me, that he makes it so that I shall not want anything. What are some ways that I'm not believing that? Lord, would you help me? Would you shape my heart? And so as we work our way through scripture, we begin to pray the very heart of God because we are praying through his own words. Something that I've began trying to do a little bit more this year is to, to write down what I pray. And some of you, that's journaling pages upon pages. That's not usually the best for me. I, I, I don't know, I get bored journaling sometimes. And so I'll just write down a list of what I'm praying through. Because we want to be a people that reflect and look upon all the prayer requests that we've had to see how God has provided. Because there's so many times in my life that I've probably prayed for things that I haven't even acknowledged or given thanks for. And when we see God work in our prayers, it begins to cause us to want to pray more and more. One line that I heard about prayer was that we are to, be a, to turn our thoughts into prayers. And I think that was a helpful step for me. And what does it look like to be conversational in our prayer, to, to seek after the Father ever, like throughout the day? And it's just like I have all these things that I'm already thinking about that are going on in my mind. Just turn those into prayers with the Father. See those as conversation pieces that I can wrestle through with him. And whatever jumps into my mind, I can just pray through that because I know that he cares for me. Something that's also helpful is just setting aside a time to go on a prayer walk. I don't know about you guys, but it's helpful for me just to go walk in nature and to have an extended hour where I'm just walking around having conversation with my father. And so that's something I seek to do on a weekly basis. And lastly, as we look at this story in the garden, I think it's important for us to remember that an unanswered prayer or one that God doesn't answer the way that we want isn't a reflection of a lack of faith on our part. Because we look at this story in the garden and we see that God didn't answer Jesus' prayer. And we in this room are all so incredibly thankful that God didn't answer that prayer. Because what that meant is that Jesus did end up going to the cross. That he did end up taking the full wrath of the Father upon him, paying the penalty for our sins so that we could be brought into this relationship with him. And so now we get to be a people that encounter God on a daily basis by pursuing him in scripture and in prayer. And what I want to encourage you is, again, there are going to be days where you don't feel the difference. But I would liken it to moments that I go home, back to the Quad Cities in Iowa. None of you probably know where that is. But when I go back home and I see my brother and sister and their kids, immediately I notice how different their kids are. And I say, man, your, your kids have grown up so much. They're like, really? I haven't noticed. They don't see the difference in their kids' lives because it's such a day-to-day -day rhythm. We need to trust that when we go to the scriptures, when we go to prayer day in and day out, that God is doing a work in our hearts, whether we feel it in that moment, he is creating us into a people that will love him and cherish him 
all our days and seek to encounter him on this earth. It's in your name, and let's pray. Father, I just want to, yeah, it, 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 it's in your name that we, we ask for help when it comes to seeking you in this text and prayer. And God, I just want to pray through even the last verse of Psalm 23 that surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, what an amazing reality that you are pursuing after us day in and day out. God, all the ways that I fall short, yet yet you are pursuing this relationship with us. And God, that we get to dwell in your house all the days of our lives. Would we not pursue after weaker and lesser joys that this world has when we can run to dwell into your presence? So God, help us to cherish your word rightly. Help us to seek to live to glorify you. God, we want to do all things for the glory of you. Would you awaken our heart to the goodness of you? It's in your name we pray. Amen.